Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. go to 0 for 3 on the power play as Bluger drives it on the right wing. He scores. Teddy Bluger off the rush. Fires it up high as the power play was expiring or had just expired. Past UC Soros and the third line continues to roll. It's 5-1 Vancouver. With a chance to win it in his return. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is rough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios of beautiful Fairview Slope in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, A-Dog, good morning to you. A-Dog. Good morning, buddy. And basketball, Ben. Good morning to you as well. Good morning. Oh, good start. Good start, everybody. Good start. Good start. Alfred and Ruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason is here to tell you more with a fresh new read about Kintech. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. Still haven't really delivered on no, that one yet. No. We got a big show ahead. It's our last show of 2024. Don't worry. There will still be programming at 6 a.m. for the next little while. But this is it for Jason and I as we say goodbye to 2023. We'll be back in January. I'm assuming the Canucks will still be a wagon in 2024. But we have a lot and, to get into. And hopefully our- you'll stop saying wagon in 2024. Maybe that can be your New Year's resolution. Wagon. Yeah, or at the very least, say it less. Uh, We have a big show ahead on our final show of 2024. At 6.30, Jeff Merrick is going to join the program. Host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, We'll get into everything that the Canucks did last night in a big win. 5-2 over the Nashville Predators at Bridgestone Arena. We can also get into some stories from around the NHL. We may have another coaching issue on the horizon in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. They were having the uh, yeah. Don't don't get blown out at home by Columbus. Nine goals. Can you imagine if Columbus put up ten? That would have been bad. <laughs> uh, Jeff Merrick's going to join us at six thirty to talk about that. Seven o'clock. We ha- we usually do a like a, a book and author series leading into the Christmas break. We kind of been remiss on that this year, but we've got one today. Matthew Collar is the author of a new book, Football is a numbers game. So this is the look at the statistical revolution in the National Football League and college football through a company called Pro Football Focus. Uh, If you're looking for a book for the sports lover in your life, we'll give you more information on that. You can hear from the author at 7 o'clock. If you're looking for a book for the sports nerd in your life. Yeah, there's a there's an element of is this the money ball of pigskin, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk to Matthew about that. Also, uh, just... What the whole thing is about. Anyway, 8 o'clock, Satyar Shah is going to join us. Yes, Satyar Shah is going to join us. You hear him on Canucks Central. You hear him on Canucks pre- and post-game shows. He was working late last night. He's going to join us at 8 o'clock to talk about that 5-2 win for the Canucks over the Preds last night. Sometimes we just, like to have a, we just like to have a chat with Sat. 
Mm-hmm. You know, with some of the things that uh, we need some more kind of like intershow relationships, I banter, think. if you will, a little bit. Ba- well, <laughs> maybe, but you know, I like I I respect what. Uh, Sat thinks about the Canucks and what he's hearing about the Canucks. So I'm looking forward to our chat. And then we go on holiday. Yeah. And we are giving away, as we continue in the Christmas spirit, we're giving away a pair of tickets yet again to a Canucks game. This time, Tuesday, Tuesday, January 2nd at Rogers Arena. It's the Canucks and the Ottawa Senators with new head coach Jacques Martin. I'm assuming he'll still be the head coach by then. Uh, behind the bench. We're going to give those away to the best what we learn. So get your what we learns in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL. Put a ticket emoji into the text to be entered into the grand prize contest for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Sens on Tuesday, January 2nd at Rogers Arena. Guest list working in reverse. 8 o'clock, it's Sat. 7 o'clock, it's Matthew Collar. 6.30, it's Jeff Merrick. That's what's happening on the program today. Ben, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Top line forwards, Elias Pettersson and Pew Suter each had a goal and an assist last night. Canucks continue rolling on the road. A 5-2 victory over the formerly red-hot Nashville Predators at Bridgestone Arena on Tuesday night. Hughes and McKay have two assists each. Casey DeSmith, 26 saves. Canucks are now 8-2-1 in their last 11 games. Hard to say anything negative about the Canucks' performance last night in Nashville. And the only guy that might have been looking for something negative to hear about that game was Andre Kuzmenko, who was sitting in the press box. Um, a bit of an unexpected healthy scratch, although maybe not, considering he only played two shifts in the third of his last game. But, you know, if you look at all five goals that the Canucks scored, what's really nice is that there's a good mix of all types of goal scorings. Um, Elias Pettersson, the first goal, was a really nice piece of skill work by Petey. Um, Nils Amon, that came a little bit lucky, but it was on a forecheck, right? You put pressure on the other team's defense. Maybe sometimes they make a mistake, make a dreadful mistake, and somehow the puck squirts out in front of the goal to Nils Amon wide open. Nils Hoaglander goes to the net and tips the puck home, right? That's a hard working goal, uh, and that's the type of goal that Rick Tockett loves to see a player like Nils Hoaglander score. Pew Suter, Another hard-working type of goal because he had to go to the net and he had to get some leverage on his stick and kind of like force the puck under, I guess it was UC Saros still at the time. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, UC Saros looked like he had it covered, but Pucer was like, no, nope, you don't. Now it's in the goal. And then Teddy Bluger, that's a nice individual piece of skill as well on a nice pass from Quinn Hughes as well. So all five of those goals... You like how they went in, and you like the differences in scoring. And I think it's a, and a it's a, like, you know how we came into uh, the season um, going, the Canucks need an identity. Maybe their identity right now is they can score in many, many different ways. Yeah, I think versatility is a real key to the team right now. We were talking about it yesterday and all the different looks that they can give you uh, and different ways that they can win hockey games, although mostly it's been let's get a lead going into the third period and then lock that bad boy down like they did last night. 
Quick strike offense was a new one that we saw yesterday. I hadn't seen that throughout the season. Fastest pair of goals that the Canucks have scored this year, the 31 seconds apart with Petey and Nils Oman. Do you know what was the funniest moment of the game? What was the funniest moment the of the game? The funniest moment of the game was when the uh, Nashville Predators, Jeremy Lauzon, one of my favorite players, scored at 14.23 of the second period. And everyone in Nashville was super excited. Mm-hmm, including except, Lozon. Except then, 14.38, Nils Hoaglander scored. And then at 15.24, Pew Suter scored. And while the Nashville Predators were announcing Lauzon's goal, the Canucks were up 4-1. to one, mm-hmm. Right? Like, he was announcing it, and he was trying, like, the announcer was trying to do, like, his excitement voice. He was like... <laughs> Predators goal and like the the Canucks had already scored two goals. And Please everyone, avert your eyes from yeah. the ice. <laughs> and everyone on the rink was like, "Yeah, we're not going to cheer that hard for this because we just watched the Canucks score two more goals." It yeah, was, I, I, you rarely see that. Sometimes just one day, I want to hear the announcer go, "Preds goal." Uh, who cares? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's totally irrelevant now. It yeah. doesn't even matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny, and they were like. Vancouver goal scored by number 21, Nils Hoaglander. Well, the two goals in the first period that they scored in 31 seconds, that kind of went from the game being, I mean, it was late in the first, so it was a fairly even affair in the first period. It looked like it was going to be scoreless going in to the dressing rooms, but because of the quick strike offense, the Canucks get up to nothing. And then you mentioned how you know quick the goals were, but I think it was important that DeSmith looked not pleased with the Lozon goal. Like He was not happy that he let that goal in. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a shot from a fair amount of distance without any screen. I thought Heronic got caught a little flat footed on that. Um, but yeah, he wasn't very happy with it. And what the, the Canucks were able to pick up their net minor by scoring two in 46 seconds, another quick strike offense, and then mm-hmm. really coasted from there, took it in the third period. Um, and that was it. And I think that, you know, again, I mentioned this yesterday where I was like, what is the identity? What is what you know when when talk it talks about staples and non negotiables and everything else? What does it mean, big picture? And this is a very versatile team, way more versatile than I thought that they would be at any point during this season. And when I'm talking about ways that they can beat you, is that hey, they're no longer you know completely reliant on the power play like they were in games past and it stretches past. They went over three on the power play yesterday. No problem. They score five times at evens four goals from four different lines last night. Like everybody got in on the offense. Right. Mm -hmm. And you look at it and you're like, okay, if star players are having off nights, if your starting goalie decides that he needs a night off or the coach decides he needs a night off after getting the NHL second star of the week, no problem. You've got enough faith into Smith to come in and get the job done. And you're looking, and then I think, you know, I hate, I hate talking about the Kuzmenko thing because it feels like we're accentuating one of the rare negatives and what was an otherwise sea of positivity. But hey, it's a big story, though. You can have a 30 you talk about it. You can have a 39 goal scorer who just signed an $11 million contract in the offseason, not play well, and really give you nothing, mm-hmm. and you've got other guys that can step up and fill the void. Now, long-term, I don't know, but who cares about the long-term at this point? Um, I'll say this. <laughs> I don't even care. I just want to get to 2024. <laughs> like, I could care less. Um, that is the last day of work before a vacation talk. <laughs> just keep it rolling, boys. Keep it rolling. Pew Suter, first-line winger. Yeah, roll with it. Actually, you know what? I don't think it's a ideal fit. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly getting the job done right now. Suter has three points, and granted, super small sample size, but three points in the two games that he's played up there. 
all the things that you expect him to do, like make smart, heady, high IQ plays, he does. Yeah, he is a smart player. He's not he's a smart defensive player. He's not going to be an elite sniper. He's not going to be one of those top line $10 million wingers that a lot of the other great centers get to play with. But he's getting the job done. And I think that's the big thing. Mm -hmm. If the mantra for the Canucks is anything, Jason, it's they get the job done. And you couldn't say that about teams in years past. And PD was good last night. Yep. PD played well. And, you know, that goal that he scored, the first goal of the game, there aren't many players in the NHL that can shoot a puck like that. And it was was nice to see. And, um, you know, again, his production has been there all season. It's just a matter of eye test in a lot of ways with Petey. And maybe this new combination with Suter, uh, Pedersen, and Mikheyev, maybe they can roll with that. Um, I, I do think we should discuss McKe- um, uh, Kuzmenko and, and whether or not he's going to be headed for a back-to-back scratch would be another back-to-back scratch. Because How do you put him in? Like, I get it. You kind of have to put him in, but how can you put him well, in? Well, the argument to put him back in the last time, <laughs> yeah, I know. the argument, well, hold on. The no. argument to put him back in last time, remember, was they were playing back-to-back. And they went into San Jose, and that was the second of a back-to-back, and you're kind of sitting there. And the Canucks weren't playing as well as they are right now. And they were – it was like, well, put them back in there, maybe some fresh legs. And ultimately what happened was the Canucks lost to San Jose, which wasn't a good look. Mm -hmm. Um, This feels a little bit different, although I do wonder – and I kind of threw this out on Twitter yesterday just for fun – I do wonder if a guy like Sam Lafferty could come out of the lineup. And the only reason I say that is because um, I think his play has slipped a little bit. He was the low time on ice yesterday, um, too. Tockett has acknowledged even that his play has slipped a little bit. Obviously, I mean, he's down on the fourth line. Um, now, I got some pushback and saying, well, no, it's got to be Phil DiGiuseppe. Are you sure? Because D- Phil DiGiuseppe kills penalties and Sam Lafferty doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the penalty kill yesterday was perfect. Not many chances for the Preds, but it was perfect, right? So um, if there's a – and there's there's almost like a – you know, Phil DiGiuseppe has already been scratched a couple times, and Sam Lafferty was the guy that came in and everyone was throwing roses at him and saying he was so great, and he was, right? He was a nice pickup. Yep. But sometimes you have to remind those guys of what brought them their success, right? They're, like Sam Lafferty – um, has bounced around the NHL, right? Mm-hmm. He's not. He didn't come to Vancouver and all of a sudden become just like he's a, he, he's a top six forward, right? Like he's he's an everyday NHLer. He'll he'll never go through any problems again. So I was just wondering. I was just wondering if I'm talking. I'm not ma- for the record. If I'm talking, I'm keeping Kuzmenko in the in the press box, right? Like after that performance, I'm just going with the same guys. They've got an optional practice. Uh, today in Dallas, so you can go if you want. Um, <laughs> but so there's I a, will. Yeah, sure, there's, show up. There's Why an not? optional practice today in Dallas. Um, you know, it, I'm not making any changes. There, there should, fatigue shouldn't be a problem. It's not a matter of you. You got to get some fresh legs in there. Um, but I just wonder about Lafferty. That's I'll just kind of keep everyone honest. Okay, well, keep to, everyone honest. That's for, all for me. 
No one gets too comfortable on the Vancouver Canucks. Right, but that's a dangerous way to go about your... I mean, either way, it's dangerous business, right? You keep Kuzmenko in the press box, and that's going to... You yeah, can see dangerous. problems on the yeah, horizon. Sure. You take Lafferty out or anybody out after a emphatic team-oriented 5-2 victory over a team that was 13-3 and in their last 16 games. Like, that is one of the, if not the most complete games the Canucks have played this season. And by that, yeah. I mean, we're talking about answered all the bells. When the bit of adversity came with the so-so goal from Lozon, they responded with two goals. All four go- all four lines gave them a goal. Everybody was rolling. Do we have the clip from Tockett talking about how the team loves to defend? I think this is an interesting one to play because he really seemed enthused and jazzed about everybody loving the way that they defend the middle of the ice. They give up shots on the outside. And it's fine because they got so much faith in their goalie. It feels like everybody is all in on this. Yeah. And then there's one guy in the press box that is either isn't quite getting it or just... Defend, defending is really fun when it works. Or when you're winning. No, no, no. It's less like, fun when you're losing. No, no, no. But it, it it is really fun to frustrate the other team. Sure. And if you talk to the top, for example, penalty killers, they, they love that job when it's going well because mm-hmm. you get to frustrate the other team. And that's fun, right? Especially on the road. Let's hear more from the head coach, Rick Tockett, now about his team loving to defend. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, I really proud of the guys that are defensive. Just, I, I was watching, you know, sometimes we'll, you know, we get out of position, but not very often. Like you, you can watch and guys are, I just like the way they play defense. You know, they're, they're protecting the middle. If we've got to give a shot, we give the outside shot. Um, so I think that's really what I really like about this team is that they really, whether they enjoy it or they buy into it, they just love it the way we defend the puck and against this team here i mean they 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 can they have a lot of offense they can go and i think we defended them really well tonight uh so we got a few texts into the dunbar lumber text line i like this one uh you want to make sure no one gets comfortable scratch quinn hughes do it mess with their heads you gotta keep on edge keep them on edge yeah you can't get Quinn, you're sitting tonight yeah Uh, what (laughs) you won't see it coming i'll tell you that what uh here's another one keep kuzmenko out was nice to see 12 forwards that all four checked hard. Another question. Do you think it's personal between Kuzmenko and Tockett or strictly performance? I think it's strictly performance. It might be getting a little bit personal right now. One mentioned he, he scored a goal and then he scratches him. I don't think he cares if he scores goals. Like he's he like, wants him to do the Yeah, right it's thing. like, I don't, great, you scored a goal, but you're not doing the other 90% yeah. of the game that I want you to do. So does it's this very difficult a- for a coach to come in and preach all these things. And say, like, we have to do these. These are non-negotiables. This is the way we're going to play. This is our go- going to be our identity. We, we, we need structure. We need, we, need, we need things that, like, the Vancouver Canucks play this way. And then to make an exception for someone. So does Very this make, difficult to do that. Does this make him like a trade chip moving forward? Given that if he's not in the lineup... Five and a half million dollars. It kind of has to be. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, the Canucks. I, d- I doubt they're happy about the way it's unfolded because his trade value is. Well, it's free. That was like people been, are calling but, about him, right? So I yeah. Mean, well, yeah. Jim Rutherford has admitted, like you know, like we're not gonna not answer the phone if someone's talking yeah. about Kuzmenko. Um, you know, the reports so far have been that other teams are calling on Kuzmenko. Yeah. Not necessarily that the Canucks are making calls out, and I think that does mean something, right? But. You also wonder, hmm, how did those reporters get the information about teams calling on Kuzmenko? Could that have come from the Canucks <laughs> to encourage a few more calls on Kuzmenko? So the, the biggest know? issue that they've got right now in terms of trying to build them back up or 
you know, trying to get back to that 39 goal level is that, and Sat and Bick were talking about this on the post game show yesterday with the other guys that talk it sort of done the disciplinary thing with, or, you know, broken out the whip. And he's like, you know, we're going to break you down and we're going to build you back up. It was the two guys in particular, I think it stand out are Hoaglander and Dakota Joshua, right? Those are the guys mm-hmm. that kind of got the tough love treatment, but there was a way to bring them back. And that was to start them on the fourth line. You go from out of the lineup to in the fourth line. And then gradually, if you make your mark and you do the staples and you don't negotiate the non-negotiables, you get a chance to play more, move up the lineup. The problem with Kuzmenko is he's, you can't put him in on the fourth line. Like you can't, you well, can't, you could, you could, but you're not if, as good. But you could if Suter's there. But if Suter's going to be up with Pedersen, I don't think it makes much. Well, sense. exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like you're talking about bringing him out of the lineup for Lafferty, and then I look at him like, well, it makes the fourth line worse if the fourth line's going to do what the fourth line's going to yeah. do, right? Yeah. They, no. they were on the ice for a goal yesterday. They did everything they needed to do. They didn't get a ton of ice time. But if Kuzmenko's going to get back to eleven million dollar thirty nine goal guy, he's going to need to play. Top line minutes, and he's going to need to be on the power play. He's going to need to play with guys where he can put the puck in the back of the net. That's where his value lies. Mm-hmm. The problem is that Tockett's not going to give that to him because he doesn't feel like he's earned it. And he's doing the things that all the other guys on the team are doing. And the power play, I don't think, is that much better with him on it versus Hronik on it's it. It's not like he's a huge difference maker on it. Yeah. Right? He's a good he's a good power play option, mm-hmm. but they have other ones. He's like, we can use this guy, we can use that guy. Yeah. You know? I mean, so I it's a real conundrum from a managerial perspective. Because right now, like Tockett is fine. They're winning games. The team's fine. They're winning games. And if Kuzmeko's not happy about it, no one's gonna find out anyway, because he's stuck in the press box. Unless he goes the agent route and starts openly complaining through his representation, which is a possibility, because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but his agent is rather vocal and uh, rather active on social media. So it's there's always something that could happen. I mean, this is the same Dan Milstein that orchestrated Zadorov's trade to Vancouver. Well, Mil- right? Milstein isn't going to do anything that's going to affect his relationship with the Canucks, though. He, he isn't. He isn't going to pull an Alan Walsh. He isn't. I guarantee it. Well, his his, his allegiance is lie with his clients, not the club. Um, yeah. Well, he's got a pretty good allegiance <laughs> with yeah. the club, too. That may have changed slightly. Yeah, like he's got to get... The he hasn't is, been like, named assistant general manager yet, okay? He's got it's to still get, time. He's got to get the Zadorov deal done with the Canucks, and that's a pretty big commission for him, I imagine. So I think he's... he's you know what? Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch to see how he does that. Uh, we're going to talk to Jeff Merrick coming up next. Um, but I do want to talk about a few things that happened in the NHL last night. Um, do you remember how we talked about the Edmonton Oilers and said, like, yeah, they need to win a bunch of games in a row, which they did. Eight but then they also need to keep winning at a high rate. Like, they can't go into another funk. Well, it kind of looks like they're going into another funk because since that eight-game winning streak, they've lost three in a row now. Uh, they lost to the Islanders last night, three to one. So we'll talk to Jeff about the Oilers, um, but we might have to lead with the Buffalo Sabers, who are the sad club brethren with the Vancouver Canucks, and they are thirteen, seventeen, and three. Uh, and they just lost to one of the worst teams in the league at home by a score of 9-4. to four. Nine goal offensive explosion for the Columbus Blue Jackets last night. It was 7-1 to one for Columbus fairly early on mm-hmm. in that game. 
And it was funny because I looked at it. I was like, oh, Columbus, don't blow it this time, right? Because Columbus had recently gone into Toronto and had a 5 nothing lead, and they blew that, and they still managed to win it in overtime. But still, that's embarrassing. So they were up big on Buffalo, and they made sure to put this one away. They end up beating the Sabres again in bu- in Buffalo, 9-4. Mm-hmm. to four. And remember the narrative going into the season in that division. It was there were three teams that were looking to move up in this world. One was Ottawa. Well, they haven't done it, and they just fired their coach. One was Detroit. They've kind of done it. They, they did it early on. High, but then they, yeah, like but then they brought Patrick, Patrick Kane on, and they've kind of fallen apart. Uh, and the other was the Buffalo Sabres. And a lot of people would have chosen the Buffalo Sabres based on the fact that they had shown some gradual improvement. They had shown some signs of life, especially under their coach, Granado. Um, and it just hasn't happened for whatever reason this year. So we're going to talk to Jeff Merrick about, oh, those poor Buffalo Sabres coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday, everybody. Ben, I see you found Laddie's Hip Hop Christmas album. Andy was an inspiration behind it. Somebody. I regret everything after hearing this selection of music that he chose. You're still working the rest of this week, right? Oh yeah, we got Dodd and Grants tomorrow on Friday. Yeah, you're gonna have, so you're gonna have to introduce him to the Hip Hop Christmas album. Oh, we will. Okay, good. Do you, do you, hey, uh, do you know what PDO is? Do you know what PDO is? The podcast asking? we have. No, no, you're gonna find out. Don't <laughs> worry, you're gonna be working with Drance. <laughs> Uh, Halford Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Oh, we are in one. Uh, we are in hour one of the program. Jeff Merrick joins us now on the Halford Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Jeff. How are you, gentlemen? Good morning. How are you today? After a very clinical victory by the Vancouver Canucks last night. Not bad, uh, Jeff. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Can you remember a team that has started the season? Um, so unexpectedly well than the Vancouver Canucks, who now have, I believe, 21 regulation wins. Um, I'm just looking at the uh, individual leading scorers in the NHL. Kucherov's got the lead, but there are three Canucks in the top 10 with JT Miller, 45 points, Elias Pettersson, 41 points, and Quinn Hughes also with 41 points. It has been a room. We were just hoping for 500. We were hoping for the Canucks. <laughs> we were hoping for the Canucks not to bury themselves like they have the last couple of seasons. It yeah. has been uh, a the, remarkable, shocking start to the season. There, um, I, I, I'm sure there are other examples, but as you ask this one, the first thing that springs to my mind, and again, it's another Jim Rutherford team, are the Carolina Hurricanes coming out of the lockout. Now, I, I sort of, you know, not that I want to put a sort of asterisk on everything in that season, but everybody was learning how to, you know, uh, play the game again. New rules package, uh, clamp down on obstruction, uh, guys have been off an entire season, 
we had like, you know, Jonathan Chichu win the Rocket Richard, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes win the Stanley Cup. But Carolina was interesting that year, you know, the following year they fell back on their face. Right. I think that's going to happen to Vancouver. But, you know, it was like, oh, look, Carolina had a good October. That's great. Oh, look, Carolina just had a really good November. Oh, that's cute. Oh, hold on a second here. We're into December and Carolina is still good. And now Jim Rutherford is making moves and bringing in veteran players. Uh, what's going on here in Carolina? Next thing you know, they, they won the Stanley Cup. Not that I'm saying Vancouver is going to win the Stanley Cup, but if you're, if you're putting me on the spot to ask, like, does it remind me of any other sort of surprising start to the season? Carolina 2006 comes to mind. Was that that was the year that he did his uh, deadline shopping early too, and he got Doug Wade, Mark, Mark Recchi way early, and then yep. they went on a roll. I do remember that, and it's interesting because I think I remember when they made those acquisitions. A lot of people were like, "Ooh, this seems like an interesting move from a team that we're not sure is for real." Well, like you said, lo and behold, they won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, remember we we're all getting excited about Gerber and Ward and that uh, and that bad that battery in net. And yeah. I'll tell you what, like some some great performances too. And you know, uh, Eric Stahl had a, had a great season and great playoffs. And uh, I still feel that Corey Stillman was robbed of a Conn Smythe Trophy. I will take that feeling to my grave. And Corey Stillman deserved the Conn Smythe that year. But you know, that was an interesting team. But as far as of recent note. You know, teams that have gone from bad to great, and I think that's where you have to put the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, this is impressive. Like, this really is. Like, on a team level, on an individual level, and, and just watching last night. Like, again, like, I use the word clinical for it, and I really believe that just watching it, just, like, shift after shift after shift. Like, everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, Casey DeSmith, like, the backup netminder looks good. He's looked good all season. I don't know. To me, this is a this is a really impressive team, and we're past the point of saying, "Oh, look how many games Vancouver's won." Isn't that cute? You know, now we're saying, like, how much damage can this team do in the playoffs? I was actually getting a little bit of deja vu when I was watching the Ottawa Senators press conference following the firing of DJ Smith, because yeah. a lot of the message there was, "We need structure. We need to learn how to play the system, and we need to clean it up defensively." And they bring in uh, one of the most famous defensive coaches in the history of hockey, <laughs> in Jacques yeah. Martin. Martin, do you think? Um, do you think? Is there a chance that the Sens at least glanced at what happened or was happening in Vancouver this season and said, "Hmm, maybe we can do that in Ottawa." Well, I think that their hope. Well, first of all, I think what Ottawa wanted was a sort of mulligan year. I think Ottawa wanted a season of calm and a season of quiet. Um, I think one of the one of the, the the least talked about yet big factors in what's happened with the Ottawa Senators is just how late Michael Anlauer got the team. Like he didn't officially get the team in May or June or July. Like it was deep, deep, like right up against the season when Michael Anlauer got the team. So there wasn't a whole lot of runway. There wasn't a whole lot of time for him to really do anything. And I think the organization just wanted to, you know, kind of very quietly surf through the season. And uh, Pierre Dorian was going to be the general manager for the whole season. DJ Smith was going to be the coach uh, for the whole season. Um, they were going to make the decisions at the end of the season on those two positions. Uh, I don't think they expected to sort of, you know, come out of the gate and, and fall on their face the way that they have. Um, but instead of getting a season of calm, they got the Shane Pinto 41 game suspension with the gambling investigation. They got the, the Donoff punishment, which finally came down that 
um, cost them a sizable amount as well, which, you know, dovetailed a pure Dorian firing, and then most recently a DJ Smith dismissal. So they wanted quiet, and they got noise. They wanted calm, and they got chaos. Mm. Things have not gone well for the Ottawa Senators. So I don't know that they'd be looking at the Vancouver Canucks and saying, maybe us. I think they're just looking around and saying, can we just have some peace and quiet till the end of the season? It's been way too noisy here. And the other thing, too, is they don't have anywhere close to the pieces that the Vancouver Canucks have. Right. Like The impressive thing about Vancouver is, we've talked about this countless times here, it's at every single position. You know, and I don't think you're going to be able to say that um, with the Ottawa Senators quite yet. Like I think that there are only three, maybe four untouchables on the Ottawa Senators, you know, Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla, uh, Sanderson, and maybe Shabbat. Yeah. But after that, it's all up for grabs. And I think one of the main things for Vancouver, like, duh, Merrick, is the goaltending. So much settles into place when you get the goaltending. Everybody plays better when you have the goaltending. And Vancouver has it both the starter and the backup. Ottawa, the furthest from that. Right. I mean, you can look around the four coaching dismissals that have already happened this year, and you can point to some pretty suspect goaltending, especially in a few of those cases. Uh, I guess it's five yeah. coaches if you count Mike Babcock Makes it hard well. for the goalie when you don't play well in front of that goalie, and we saw that last year with Thatcher Demko. And that's always the great debate, right? When a team is allowing a lot of goals, is it purely the goaltender? Is it purely the play in front? Well, it's usually neither purely um, and I think one of the things that the Canucks have done this year is, and I'm not dismissing that Thatcher Demko hasn't made some remarkable saves and that Casey DeSmith wasn't one of the best trades any GM has made uh, this season, but the play in front of them is so much more predictable and so much more solid. They are forcing way more shots from outside, and sometimes when I watch the Sens play, I'm kind of like, yeah, Bruce, there it is. That's the type of hockey yeah, that I see, you know? Right in front of the net again, eh? Oh, another slot line one-timer? Okay, yeah, that puck got through pretty easy. You know, I always, <clears throat> when it comes to a lot of goalie issues, um, my default is to defer to the goalie whisperer, Kevin Woodley, or Steve Valaket, mm. uh, and his clear sight analytics. And, you know, one of the points that, you know, whenever I, whenever I have Woodley on the radio show or on the podcast, he, he always talks about the environment that the goaltender is in. And there are some teams, um, by the way that they play, it's just not complementary to how that goaltender plays. And so it ends up being the goaltender that looks bad. You know, I, I think, you know, we look at um, Philip Grubauer as maybe the prime example of that, uh, who, you know, the way Seattle plays does not complement the way that Grubauer plays. It does not mean that he's a bad goaltender all of a sudden. It just means that that's a bad fit. Um, and I think for, uh, for, for Thatcher Demko, the way that Rick Tockett has the Vancouver Canucks playing, like that is a great environment for Thatcher Demko and Casey DeSmith to shine, right? Like we always talk about this, you know, create an environment to give your players the best possible chance and create environments where their skill set can come out. I think that's, you know, one, one of the reasons why we're talking about, you know, Jack Adams trophy here for, for Rick Tockett, because he's done it for a lot of players, not just the goaltender, uh, but a lot of players on that roster. Well, that was actually one of the questions that I had down here is Tockett, your leading candidate for the Jack Adams. Uh, Tockett is definitely there. Uh, I think that Peter LaViolette will get a lot of consideration as well. 
for what he's been able to do with the uh, with the New York Rangers. Listen, I think Jim Montgomery's going to be there too. Mm. You know, when you look at what he's been able to do without Bergeron or without Krejci. Um, and you know what? Here's another one. And I don't know how long this fairy tale is going to keep existing, but do we not talk more about John Tortorella and yep. the Philadelphia Flyers? Like, I know that they're punching above their weight. I think we all know that. But, you know, and I know, like, last night was a tough one turnover-wise for Jack Hughes, but there it is again. And it's Owen Tippick, this great reclamation project where we thought there's not a chance. Like, you know Owen Tippett. You remember Owen Tippett from Florida. Like, did you think when they made that deal, like, that Tippett and Tortorella were going to work together? It's been great. And we all looked at that. Even people in Philadelphia told me, we're not sure how this is going to go. But good on both sides there for, for bending. And John Tortorella has been able to create an environment where Owen Tippett can, you know, um, can profit best from his main skill set, which is his shot. You know, he's got one of the heaviest shots in the NHL, and Tortorella has him in a position where he's able to use that. And that was the overtime winner last night against the New Jersey Devils. So, I mean, the Tockett story is an absolutely great one. I just don't think that he's the sort of runaway favorite right now. But he's in that conversation with John Tortorella. I can't believe I'm saying that this deep into December. And Jim Montgomery and Peter Laviolette as well. You know, after watching Torts' kind of disastrous year in Vancouver pretty closely, um, I've come to the conclusion that Torts is the perfect type of coach for a team that is craving leadership and craving direction. Like when he went to Columbus, that was the perfect team for him. And I think Philly, which had lost its identity, everyone was like, what are Flyers anyway? Like they're certainly not the, you know, the Broad Street bullies anymore. Like what are the Flyers? And, you know, when Torts goes in there, the identity is Torts hockey. And And I still think the reason that or maybe the, one of the main reasons it didn't work in Vancouver was because he came into a veteran team that had actually accomplished quite a lot, and he was kind of sitting there and going like, uh, you know, like, you guys don't know how to win. And, you know, people would be like, you see those two President's Trophy banners? Like, those weren't from, <laughs> those weren't from that long ago. So, yeah. I don't know, what do you think? Like, what's the perfect team well, for, for Torts? He, he, well, I think it's, I think you I think you nailed it, and that's one that that's searching for identity. And let's not forget too, that's the Philadelphia Flyers team that was, you know, without Sean Couturier, and that was the Philadelphia Flyers team that could not get out of its own way. I, I, I understand the issue with the alumni and all the, you know, the heavyweight pressure from the Bobby Clarks and the Paul Holmgrens, and the pretending that the salary cap doesn't exist, and let's just make these moves like. You know, like like Ed Snyder is still alive and he's throwing money around for players like Ilya Brzgalov because, damn it, Tim Thomas just won the Boston Bruins, sorry, Vancouver, a Stanley Cup, and we need to get our own version of Tim Thomas. Um, and a number of things had to happen here. One, the reins had to be wrestled away from those people, uh, and they were. Uh, and two, they needed a coach like John Tortorella to come in and say, we're wandering, guys, and we need a focus and we need uh, direction. And the way that Torts coaches, like, it's funny, too, because I keep going back and forth on this. Like, is John Tortorella the right coach for a rebuild or the wrong coach for a rebuild? Like, you know, Macklin Celebrini is sitting there. (laughs) And Philadelphia Flyers aren't going to come close to touching him. Like, Columbus is. Uh, Chicago might, although that's a big win last night against Colorado. San Jose certainly is. But, you know, there's a couple of things. One, when you're rebuilding, you want to rebuild not just your player pool, uh, but the culture of your team. 
And right now, all those players on that team are playing with an identity and a focus, and they show up to practice and show up to the games, and they know exactly what's expected of them. Um, and Tortorella understands you know, that the uh, the pat on the back is 18 inches away from a kick in the butt. And you saw that early with a player like uh, well, Cam York comes to mind right away. I mean, not making the Philadelphia Flyers last season at the training camp when everyone expected he was going to be on the blue line. And boom, he's down to Lehigh Valley. 20 games later, he's coming up after John Tortorella ripped him in training camp. And if you'll notice, Tortorella went out of his way at every single press conference to praise him and build him up. Like, I think that great coaches, what they do, especially with young players, is they have a look at what's under the hood. And I think this organization needed to see what they really had when players faced adversity. And when a player has an idea of expectation, you know, a Tortorella hammers them down just to see how they'll react. Like, a lot of what Tortorella does, I've thought, like, I'm the key, like you guys, like, I've thought a lot about how Tortorella coaches and how Tortorella behaves and he's a classic coach that will knock a player down just to see how that player reacts does it make him stronger or does it does he wilt because this is a game that humbles you these uh, 82 game seasons uh, will humble you and will show you exactly who you are as a player and I think Tortorella wants to do that early but if the idea of a rebuild is getting as many great young players as possible I mean, Tortorella single-handedly has taken the Philadelphia Flyers out of the lottery. Now, I look at it as well and say, if I'm an owner, like, that's the kind of rebuild I want. Like, I can get a rebuild where we actually get good young players, but we still make the playoffs and get playoff revenue. Holy smokes, like, that's fantastic. The problem is you don't end up with uh, the Macklin Celebrinis and you don't end up with, uh, with the Conor Bedards. But you do get a Mitchkoff and you do get a Cutter Gauthier. And you get a team that has identity and purpose and direction. And I think a lot of that comes from the structure of Hilferty to Jones to Briere, and it drips all the way down. We're speaking to Jeff Merrick here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Jeff, of course, the host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. Let's keep the coaching conversation going here, Jeff. Uh, we'll sure. turn to Buffalo now. So, Uh-oh. okay. Don Granato Uh-oh. last <laughs> night, he's on the wrong end of a 9-4 loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. At home, and Mike Harrington, the Buffalo News, tweeted it out in the aftermath. Whoever was left at the end of that game, they started the Fire Donnie chant in Buffalo, which is no good for him. And in a very short span, uh, Granado's gone from being a guy that the fans really liked to the sort of focus of their ire. How much trouble is he in in Buffalo right now? Well, I'm of a couple of minds here because, you know, if he's in trouble, how many coaching changes are we going to see with the Buffalo Sabres? Like, I think it's like, would that be like the fifth in seven years for the Sabres? Like, at a certain point, it has to stop here. Like, I don't know how much I pin on Don Granato. And by the way, and by the way, I do have to come clean on something. As much as Elliot is getting roasted out there on Twitter for his pick uh, for the Jack Adams, DJ Smith, I picked <laughs> Don Granato. Okay? So, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not throwing darts at Hey, you're still in the race. You're still in the race, buddy. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I mean, if you look at the record after wins, I think it's like one nine and or one ten and two or something like that. Like they they can't put a two game winning streak together uh, for crying out loud. But uh, I think that I think that Granado's in trouble because the Buffalo Sabers didn't do enough in the off season to help this team. 
I mean, Eric Johnson comes in and he's been scratched a few times. Yeah. Uh, Connor Clifton comes in. Um, but other than that, you know, what did Kevin Adams do to help this team? They re-signed Kyle Poso. They, um, they re-signed uh, Zemgis Gergensen's, but they didn't do enough to take this team to the next step. And, and I get it, like, you know, it's in hindsight, it's 2020. But as much as everybody was gaga about Devin Levi, and he's the new Ken Dryden, yeah. um, Devin Levi needs time in the American Hockey League. All goaltenders need time in the American Hockey League. And certainly more than two games uh, with the Rochester Americans and then saying, yeah, I went and cleaned up my game in Rochester and came back. You were there for two games. Like the, the hot shotting of the goaltending situation is completely the antithesis of what Kevin Adams has been saying, which is, you know, we're going with youth. We're not going to hot shot this thing. And they're just handing, you know, they're, they're handing this position to Devin Levi, really wanting it to work. Now, I do know that Don Granada really does like Devin Levi, uh, loves the way he practices, loves a lot of things about him. Um, but to me, this, this is the story of the Buffalo Sabres not doing enough in the offseason to move this program forward and get, you know, uh, enough help on the back end. And, you know, again, going back to the goaltending, why did we think this was going to work when you had three goaltenders who, I don't have the stats in front of me, but did they all collectively have 100 games of NHL experience? Yeah. That's like, together. Yeah. They didn't, you know? So, I mean, the coach pays for it. I don't think that Kevin Adams wants to fire Don Granato. But as we saw in Toronto with Ron Wilson years ago, as we saw most recently with DJ Smith, you know, once the fans pick the coach as the target and start chanting fire, insert coach's name here, it usually is the beginning of the end. Although that didn't happen for Lindy Ruff, but then, you know, New Jersey went on like a 13 game winning streak after the fire Lindy chance so it, nonetheless, but it, it's hot seat time in Buffalo. Real quick, Jeff, how have those two former number one overall pick, defenseman Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power been for the Sabres because it's worth noting that they're both already signed to big extensions and next season their combined cap hit will be almost 20 million dollars yeah I I see I I don't mind that like I I like the idea of when you identify who your team is you you lock them in um, for as long as you can at a number that you like um, like I think Rasmus Dahlin is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. I think that Owen Power um, has the potential to be one of the top defenders in the NHL as well. The problem that I have with them this season is the same problem that I had with them last season, which is overwork. I mean, Owen Power is only 21 years old, and he's playing 23 minutes a night. Rasmus Dahlin is 23 years old, and he's playing 25 minutes night you know we said this last year come christmas time like this blue line is gonna burn out and you know they they went about it by you know by by, as i mentioned signing johnson and and connor clifton but that's not the answer to 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 removing the workload off of rasmus dalene and owen power we should throw matthias samuelson into that conversation as well too because he's locked in on a long-term deal um, right now, you're looking at it and you see where the Buffalo Sabres are at and you say, eh, these might be albatross contracts, but I still think there's great defensemen there in both. I just think they need to get the minutes down right now. So to be blunt, they're not flat out exhausted at the end of every game. We said it last year and I'm still saying it this year. 
Jeff, uh, you are the best. We love having you on the show. You make this a better show. This is our last show for the year. We're going on vacation starting tomorrow. So I wanted to say thanks for everything this year. Enjoy the holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And we'll talk again in 2024. You read that card exactly as I wrote it. That was amazing. <laughs> um, thanks, boys. It's always a highlight of my week getting to talk to you guys again. It's been a long time. Let's keep it rolling. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you, it, bud. That's uh, Jeff Merrick, host of the 32 Thoughts podcast and the Jeff Merrick Show here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Real quick before we go to break, all these NHL stories that we haven't covered. Ben, your boy, Angus Crookshank. He's taken over the NHL. This is incredible. He's everywhere. Yeah. So did you see this? He scored his first NHL goal mm-hmm. last night after Ben went to his NHL debut in Vegas over the weekend. In, 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 in front of 5,000 fans in Arizona. Right. That You should have extended the trip. I should have. <laughs> you should have, you yeah. should have just played some golf. Yeah. yeah. Go to Scottsdale. <laughs> We're taking the Halbro show down to the desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a fun time, The Kintec Mobile Studio. The, yeah. Ve- the Vegas <laughs> Scottsdale double. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got um, Matthew Collars coming up on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. He is the author of the new book, Football is a Numbers Game. If you're looking for a gift for the football fan in your life, maybe our next guest could point you in the right direction. That's coming up all next. Last show of the year, folks. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.